several months ago, I wrote an email from the United States Examiner from the Eastern Hospital. And there's an article about this amazing young man who started evangelizing importance and projects with the And I read that and thought about it. Amen. Thank you so much, Al. Can we give Al and Lana and Richard and thank you so much? Let's just uh, begin this prayer and just give this all into the hands of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, thank you so, so much for your grace and for your goodness, and thank you for tonight, and I thank you, Father, for the gift of Al and Lana and this ministry and Richard and everybody that's helped out. Father, uh, thank you for the gift of my family and all these people here tonight that uh, traveled far or close, and um, we just pray for every single person here that, and anybody that may hear this. Father, and then we just really just ask that this entire talk would solely be used to glorify your name and to... Uh, to carry the spirit of prophecy that this testimony would carry the weight for you would change our family's lives and we would carry this around with us, this gospel that you have given us, Jesus, and to live fully in your love. <clears throat> and uh, Mother Mary, we thank you. You're the perfect image of the church, both mother and virgin. And we just give this into your hands as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. Thank you guys so much for coming out. Is everybody, can everybody hear me okay? All right. Sometimes I get really excited, and they're like, everyone's like, you need to slow down. So <laughs> if I see that, we're one family, you can just say like... <laughs> Um, no, thank you guys so much for coming out and taking your time for tonight. I know you guys could have been anywhere else tonight, so I just really uh, am thankful, and I really do believe it's the Lord's grace to bring us all together um, as a family, and that this uh, talk would really be for all of us to become closer to Jesus and his church, and I'm just so grateful for the gift of this ministry. Alana called me in January, or uh, called me, and oh, no, called me, and I emailed you back, but uh about coming to give this talk, and I am just so honored and joy-filled to, to do this, and this is really just God's gift. Like, sometimes I get worked up for talks, and I'm like, this is, this is yours, Jesus. Like, I have nothing to, nothing to take credit for here. So, um, and I want to thank you for my family for coming from Lansing, and my, my wife and my, my family, uh, if you, thank you, yeah. <laughs> Go mom and dad. And, uh, and just and, and keep my, my wife and family in her prayers and everything. And they were planning on being here tonight, but unfortunately need to be with family tonight. So just please just keep everybody in your prayers. Um, but tonight, just a layout of kind of an overview of what I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to first go into my story. I just want to share the story of where I came from and where I, how I got here today. And then I want to talk why specifically be Catholic. And there's three elements I really want to talk about. The gospel and then the authority and, the, and covenant that we richly and profoundly and fully have in Jesus' Catholic Church. And so, uh, and then after that, I actually want to give a part, like right before Lana 
uh, called me. I was in prayer at, in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, and I was in adoration at Shrine. You, anybody been to Shrine of the Little Flower in Royal Oak? Yeah, it's a beautiful place, right? I live like a half mile north of there, so 24-7 adoration's available anytime we can be with the Lord. And um, me and my wife have been blessed uh, to go to like daily mass there. Um, but I was there, and I was just asking Jesus, like, why did... I'll get into it later, but I was literally just asking Jesus, like, why did this conversion happen in the Catholic Church for me? Like, why, why did this happen in my life here now? And I really believe that he gave me a few things um, and abiding in his presence. It's all about the presence of God. So I think he really gave me that to me on abiding in the Lord and to growing in him. And that I think it could, everybody could take away tonight a little bit of walking away in the presence of God to grow in the image of Jesus every single day. So uh, we'll be talking about that. So um, first thing, my story. So I was born in the 90s, a 90s baby. (laughs) And I was born in Lansing, Michigan. And I was born into a beautiful family, my mom, Lori and Gordy. And uh, I have an older sister. She's seven years older than me. Her name's Nicole, an incredible uh, older sister and just a beautiful person. And then I have a younger brother who's seven years younger than me. And then we actually had a dog that was seven years younger than him. So like, <laughs> so, her name was Bella. She was the best. And uh, so um, was really blessed growing up with, a, with, a, with family. Um, from a faith perspective, I was baptized, I think, around like the age of three or four. Um, and unfortunately, we just, we, we didn't go to church. We didn't have, we weren't tied to any faith. And I really do believe that probably the next time I was at, a, at mass for anything was um, in high school at my grandpa's funeral. Or sometimes we would go to like a church, on, uh, like a non-denominational church um, that had kind of like a play for Easter and Christmas. But I really didn't even know what that was. Like, which one is the birth of Jesus? Which one is the resurrection? I wasn't sure. Um, so I really grew up with, apart from faith and um, my childhood and growing up, my life was kind of marked by sports. I really, we really love sports. My dad is still my best coach. <laughs> I'll be getting critiques tonight. <laughs> and uh, um, so I was, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan that whole time. I was playing a lot of sports. We were, uh, and we traveled a lot, very, very competitive in baseball, basketball, football, track. And then I was very blessed with a football scholarship to play at Grand Valley and my sister ran track there before, seven years before me, so I was already kind of familiar with the, with the, the area a little bit, but also it was like, if any Division II school you want to go to, this is it to play some football, you know? Like, they, they got a good thing going over there with Brian Kelly starting everything. And, uh, and so I grew up just loving football, and I, I had an opportunity to go play football at Grand Valley, so I took that, so that opportunity, and went off to college. And in high school, it started really in high school where all of a sudden, my identity as a child, that joyful, that like not insecure person started fading away, and I started going into just a life of the world. Like me and my friends, we were like, well, this is, this is what the world tells us is going to be happy, right? So why not start drinking at a younger age? Come on, like give us a drink. Canada, it's 19. <laughs> you know, and like, so high school, I, I, I went, it wasn't bad in high school or anything like that, but um, I kind of already had like the underlyings of just like wanting to be involved in the things of the world. And in college, that is fully expressed an hour away from, I'm in my own apartment complex with a few friends that want to do the same thing as me. And we really like, we really is just sports and it was, and it was drinking and it was doing anything else that 
that you can think of in, in college that would say that the world says, this is actually what's going to make you happy. This is what's going to sustain you. This is what you're going to be able to do in your career. And like, this is how successful people make it. Um, and so that was kind of my life in college. I, I didn't know like I was living in that until really I, ha- I unfortunately had two major uh, knee injuries. I had two ACL surgeries. Um, so I was out of football for four years, but during that time when I was, you know, in bed and, and this machine is pushing my leg back and forth like this so it, so it doesn't get all tense in my knee, I got really depressed because I really didn't, I felt like the people that, there wasn't too many people coming to visit me from my football team or, or friends like that. And that was the time where I really did pick up the Bible and start, start reading. I had a Catholic Bible that my Aunt Rochelle or my uh, Aunt Connie gave me when I was little, and I started reading it, but put it back down. I started at Genesis. I, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so, so uh, and then um, at my second ACL surgery did really did the same thing, just uh, got in the same place of just like, really, no one is coming to visit me. I, I feel like, I do feel depressed, and, um, and I was in a life of, of sin, and I was making bad decisions even on my own. And, uh, and I started reading the Bible, and I started going to this non-denominational church in Grand Rapids, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know any better, but actually, really, uh, before that, I really thought every religion was the same. Like, I didn't care if you were Catholic. I didn't care if you were Protestant. I didn't know really what that meant. Um, Buddhist, Hindu, I was like, I don't know enough people to give that a try. So, 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 so like, I really, it really didn't occur to me, like, I wasn't an atheist. I, I never would have claimed to say that there's not a God. I think, like, creation is just, like, so beautiful. I'm like, how can there not be? But I was just, I didn't, I didn't pro- profess any faith. But as I started going to this non-denominational church and going to Bible study and really learning about the person of Jesus, I really actually grew in uh, more of like an anti-Catholic sentiment in my heart because I was like, well, we have all these churches and all these disagreements and that church right there, the Catholic church, that's the one that has all these traditions of men. This is the one that looks super boring at mass. What is going on? Why do you confess your sins to a priest? Are you guys worshiping Mary? All the questions, right? And it really grew because even my Catholic friends in college that I started asking those questions to, they had no idea why they do those things or where that's at in the Bible or because that'd be the question, right? Where's that in the Bible? And, uh, and I really, I started growing even more in that. I wasn't on the streets like, hey, are you Catholic? I got to convert you. But, but I really started like growing a heart cold for the Catholic church. Um, but I went in and out of the church. Like I would literally go from like, there would be parties happening in the apartment and I would be not drinking up in my room reading the Bible. And then a few months later, back in the scene, in and out of this church, and nothing really, like, stuck. But when I moved, so that's in Allendale, Michigan, so it's, like, 20 minutes west of Grand Rapids. When I moved downtown Grand Rapids to, uh, um, after, so after my, my second knee injury, they gave me a, what's called a medical hardship, so it re- retains my scholarship, but it says that I'll never play football again. So uh, after four years, I changed my degree to accounting and finance as opposed to finance and marketing, so I was very focused in accounting, and that was downtown Grand Rapids, and I, I moved down there with a few buddies. And the same thing kind of happened. I was just like in that lifestyle, but then the second year of Grand Rapids, I moved into an apartment all by myself, and I had fear of missing out, like nobody's business. Like, something's going on right now. Like, I'm missing something. Why isn't somebody telling me about it? And uh, I didn't know how to be by myself. 
Um, and when I started thinking about church again, I actually went to a lot of different churches in Grand Rapids. I would go to an Episcopalian church. I went to a non-denominational church again. And, and the, the Episcopalian church, I was like, this is great. They look traditional. They're super nice. And they let me get to have their bread. Like, <laughs> like, like the Catholic church doesn't let me do that. So they're exclusionary. And, um, and so that was really it. But then um, I had an offer to, for my CPA. I'm a, I'm a CPA now at Deloitte & Touche, downtown Detroit, but I really wanted to stay in Grand Rapids. But um, yeah, uh, I, it is all God's grace. Even like when I was depressed, I know that it was completely God's grace. He didn't, he didn't like directly cause my knee injury to happen, but he allowed it to happen for his grace to work in my heart because then I changed to my major to accounting. I got my uh, degree and my CPA and I moved to Detroit. And this is kind of like where it all kind of, it starts going. And um, I started going to a non-denominational church in Troy, and me and my sister did. And uh, we, I mean, I didn't have any problems with it, but I just, I just felt kind of empty there, you know. Um, I didn't have the community aspect of it yet, and like just an outsider standing in, I was like, dang, like, they have fog machines and, and lasers going on right now. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I love worshiping the Lord now. I I worship the Lord like more crazy than ever now that I'm Catholic. It's not. Megan knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, and um, so me and my sister go into this non-denominational church, and all of a sudden she texts me out of the blue one day, and she says, hey, I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never been baptized, and I really want to have the faith that my family's going to have. And that she has a, she has a husband and two daughters, and at the time it was her husband and one daughter, and they're Catholic, and she was the my niece was beautiful four year old niece now, but she was baptized Catholic, and she said, "I want to have the faith that they have." So I'm going to join St. Mary's in downtown Royal Oak, and I'm going to enter the RCI program. Uh, would you like to do it with me? Nope, I'm good. <laughs> I said absolutely not. Like I'm good. Catholics are crazy, and uh, and I'm not going to do that. Right and. Um, so she, well, so she texted me back and she said, well, you know, it's a seven-month-long program. Like, you don't owe anybody anything. If you hear something wrong and you don't like, you can leave. And, like, I think it would be really cool to kind of do this together. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go and support you. And as soon as I hear this priest, which I'm going to try to convert, if I hear him say something wrong, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> and uh, and um, so we started the, literally the very first day. It wasn't even the RCA meeting where we started talking about the faith. It was literally a tour of the church. And Father Paul Snyder, uh, he's giving us a tour of the church, and he's talking about the symbols on the window. I'm like, wow, like, this is really beautiful. Then he's talking about, and then he says something like, I wanted to ask him to make sure I heard it right, but he said that, so every reading that's read every day is read all around the world in the Roman Catholic Church. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that is beautiful. Like, the unity in that and, like, the structure of the readings and I didn't get the, I didn't understand the structure of the readings. I was like, they're not a Bible church anyway, so <laughs> they probably don't use it that much. But it's the same readings. Every day I was like, wow, that is beautiful. And like slowly my heart started opening more and more because I was like, well, maybe the things that I really believed about the church isn't true. <laughs> and, um, and then really like God's grace really just like, went crazy for it. So because I started listening to Catholic Answers, like Marcus Grodi, Steve Ray, who's talked here before. I've listened to, read all of Scott Hahn's books just about. 
um, Scott Hanno's a Protestant pastor, become Catholic. I'm listening to all these Protestant pastors who became Catholic. I'm reading the Church Fathers. I'm watching debates. I start just, I'm just consumed. I'm like listening and reading. I'm watching debates. And uh, by the time Easter of 2017 came around, so that was the fall of 2016, Easter of 2017 is when we came into the church. And when that, when that came around, like, it was all headspace, though. It wasn't anything in my heart yet. It was like, oh, my goodness. This is the church that Jesus founded. Jesus is there in the Eucharist. Every single thing that the church teaches is 100% true, not because of men, but because of the words of Jesus. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so uh, that was Easter, and I still couldn't explain it to anybody. Like, I would literally give, like, just superficial things. Like, my, uh, good, uh, my best friend growing up, he asked me, he was like, you know, like, what are you doing to become a Catholic? <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know, but I just feel so connected at Mass. And like, it's the only church that can trace its roots back to the first century and, um, and all those things. And, uh, but over, over that summer of 2017, like my, that, all that headspace literally just like started transforming my heart. I was like, my life has got to change. Like I was, cause I was still struggling with a lot of things that I carried from, you know, high school, college and, um, and just like brokenness and darkness, but I didn't even know that still then. I thought I was fine. But over that course of the summer, my heart really started to transform and like I really can't do these things anymore. Like I, like, I really believe that, you know, I was, I, I was pro-choice because I was like, I'm, I'm the compassionate one, not you pro-lifers. I'm the one like, the, like contraception. I don't get why the church would teach that, that that's wrong, you know, and like why you can't live together before marriage. And like all of it was arbitrary rules. But then like the encounter with Jesus and the sacraments of my first communion and, um, and confirmation really took off that summer. And my life started changing and I started seeing a completely different way. I couldn't explain it. And then I got involved with Young Catholic Professionals in Detroit. It was one of 17 chapters at the time. I think it's now one of 20 in the entire country. It started in 2010 in Dallas. And um, it was like a divinely inspired, uh, because literally I emailed the president, um, Donald Smith, for uh, just, I just wanted to get involved. It was just in the bulletin. I didn't even know they needed an opening for director of finance. I was literally just like, hey, what can I do to get involved? He said, literally, like the two hours before that, they're supposedly supposed to be director of finance, said they couldn't do it anymore. So I took that position, and um, so I got really involved with Young Catholic Professionals, at one of the, this is the second event of the entire year, August 30th of 2017, my life took another drastic change. I'm walking down the street. I walk downtown Detroit, and, um, and I, I'm walking. Uh, it's, it's lunchtime. I'm with my coworkers, and there's, there's homeless people on the street. And my heart is like, I don't know why, but it, I just feel compassion all of a sudden. And I have no idea why, but I didn't want to be the weirdo to stop and, like, talk to them and, like, help them out, like, get them food or anything. Like, my heart was like, compassionate yet was still really fearful of being compassionate in front of people because all I knew was like even good people walk right past don't say anything don't do anything and uh, I went to our second event at Old St. Mary's August 30th of 2017 I walked up to Father Patrick Gagno he uh, he talked uh, in January of last year if you guys haven't heard that talk yet get some Kleenex first <laughs> start the, on that link oh my goodness and um, so I, I said, Father Patrick, like, I, I would just want to have a compassionate heart. Like, I walked past a homeless man today, and I didn't do anything because I didn't want to be the weirdo. I didn't want to be the, the person that stands out. I didn't want to, you know. 
He said, yeah, let's, let's pray, brother. <laughs> and literally, if you guys know Father Patrick, I just wanted like a 30-second, like, Lord, we just give this to you, you know. We're like eight minutes into this thing. <laughs> and he's praying, and he literally, I didn't ask for this. I literally, I didn't even really know about it yet. But he said, Lord, I just ask that you give him the gift of healing. And he touched both of my palms, and electricity ran through both of my, both of my arms. It was so intense, 24 hours later, my forearms were pulsating. It was that intense. And Megan was there, too. And I remember, like, my op- I opened my eyes. I met her, for, her and her mom for the first time at Old St. Mary's. Their mom works there. And uh, Father Patrick, after the prayer, I'm like, my eyes are open. Like, I see completely in a different light. Like, everything is super bright. And my hands are, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. I've never heard of baptism in the Spirit. I've never heard of, like, things of supernatural like that. And I remember Father Patrick goes like this to Megan this kid. And then, and, then, and then Megan goes, I can feel the Pentecost. <laughs> it was awesome. That night, we were, it was like, af, it was like an after party. It was a Wednesday um, at one of our events. We went on Greek, to Greek town and uh, we were walking with a, I ended up talking to a homeless man named Tony who was living on the streets. And it was me, him, and I'm just talking to him. And I'm still really nervous about praying for people. Like I've never like vocally prayed for somebody before and then like I got this like pulse anything going on in my forearms like I need to do something with this and <laughs> and, uh, and so we're walking and we're actually with some friends and he needed some money and we were going to get him some money out of the ATM and um, after when, when my friends were at the ATM I was like bro do you need some prayer <laughs> and I was like uh, yeah and he goes well I can't straighten my left arm and my right knee always hurts so we prayed after literally, okay, I can't, I can't give it away this much, but like I didn't pray right away because my friends were coming back from the ATM. I'm like, I'll come back, I'll come back. <laughs> so literally, we literally get to Old St. Mary's. We say bye to everybody. We, we agreed, like me and Tony, like we were going to meet on the corner of like right outside of Old St. Mary's. I literally get in my car, wave everybody goodbye. I drive around Greektown. It's a bunch of one ways. So, like, so I like had to like circle around. Like, I run up to Tony. It's 1230 in the morning on a Wednesday. And I'm like, Tony, man, let's pray. <laughs> and I have literally no idea how to, how to pray for healing. But I've seen videos through Enco- Encounter Ministries now. But before that, it was Father Th- Matthias Thalen. I heard of him. And I heard of um, Patrick Rice in, in Ohio. And I watching these videos of like healings happen I'm like and I'm showing my friends and they're like what <laughs> like healings happen like Jesus heals people and um so I just remember from there and I was just like asking the Holy Spirit to come and fill his knees and fill his elbow and Jesus please heal this <laughs> and he stretches out his left elbow and he can straighten it and and he and I'm like don't be playing with me man he goes dude I couldn't straighten my arm and now I can and then we prayed for his knee, and it wasn't 100%, but we're jogging down Greektown. And then I was like, okay, 24 hours later, the pulsating goes by, goes by. I'm living off of this high of watching this happen. I'm like, there's my evangelism moment. That's it. <laughs> and, uh, and I started, like, I, I really believe that it was like a one and done type of thing. And, uh, but I started reading. I literally started consuming books of healing Protestant pastors, Catholic, Dr. Mary Healy healing book, and listening to Patrick Rice and, and Father, Mathalen, Father Matthias Thalen, and uh, all these people who've seen like incredible healings. And I'm still not praying for anybody, I'm just reading about it. And uh, the next time I saw a healing was at a YCP thing. Uh, Father Patrick 
uh, we were in adoration as a team, and he asked, does, somebody's eyes ha- does somebody have a problem with their eyes? And one of the guys there, one of our team members, he had overactive rum sleeping. He literally had, like, nerve damage in his eye, and he was supposed to have surgery. And Father Patrick prayed, and he's like, Jordan, get in. <laughs> prayed. His eye was healed. And then, we, then, like, so many things happened after that. I saw, saw so many healings happen through through prayer, but a, like a deeper healing in my own heart, I started doing Unbound at Our Lady of Good Counsel, and that set me free from like a life of addiction, finally, and, um, and like a lot of darkness. <clears throat> and the way that the, the Lord transformed my life that year in 2017, I was like, the only way that I could ever really pay him back was to become a priest. There's really no other option. <laughs> like, and, but I was really clinging to a lie that my identity and my past that like I, I, I couldn't be a good man to, to a future wife. I'll just hurt her, you know? And um, so I'm, I was like, I, I gotta, I'm going to be a priest. So I really started discerning the priesthood. And actually in February of 2000, or March of 2018, um, uh, two years ago, I was doing discernment nights at the seminary in Sacred Heart. And I was like, this, I'm going to become a priest. But it, so that was in March of 2018. If I back up really quick to November 29th of 2017, I saw at, the, at St. Fabian this girl walk in at a YCP event, and my heart dropped because we were neighbors in college. And uh, her name was Napoli. And I said, I, we, like, we, we just like, talked. We were friends in college. This is the first time we've seen each other. Didn't keep in touch. Um, and she became literally my best friend. And I was, she was, I was call, calling her outside to my spiritual director to talk through this discernment of becoming a priest. And she received her vocation revelation literally two days before um, seeing each other, that she thought she was called to religious life, and she ended up being called as to, a, a, to be a mother and a wife. And that same day, she went to confession with Father Patrick, and he's tuning in with the Lord, and again, like, confirms her vocation of being a, a, mother, and a, a mother and a wife. But we were literally just friends. We had no idea it was going to be us, because I was still discerning the priesthood. She was like, this is awesome. Go be a priest. <laughs> and, um, so that, and then I did my discernment weekend, and I really wanted to become a priest. And, uh, and I was so ready to quit my job. I was so ready. I was honestly a little ready just for all my Protestant friends to be like, whoa, this is radical. Like this dude literally just dropped everything and went into the seminary for six or seven years to become a priest. <laughs> you know? And uh, like to see a life change. But all of a sudden the Lord started revealing more and more about marriage. And I literally was like, boop. Boop, not for me. <laughs> not for me, must be for somebody else. And um, and so June 1st came, it was Napoli's birthday, and we're out with some friends, and she tells me that she likes me. And I'm like super confused because I'm like, I thought I was going to be a priest, and now I, I like, I'm, I'm like, I've already like been growing in like my attraction to her. It's not just like a friendship anymore. Like I'm really like drawn to her and her, and like her beauty and her discipleship. I've never seen somebody like love like she does ever. Like she, I remember the, one of the first times we went out on a date, it was, we were getting sushi, when I came home, I started journaling because I heard it was like a good spiritual thing to do. And, and, I, and I was like, Napoli is an incredible disciple of Jesus. Wow. Because like, just love just radiates off of her. And um, so the Lord started revealing more and more things about marriage and about Napoli. And then she tells me she likes me, but we were going on the Camino with 16 of our friends, two of them being priests at the end of uh, June, beginning of July. 
And I said, that was going to be my time to finally discern. Like, this was going to be it. Has anybody heard of the Camino de Santiago? It's the way of St. James and throughout Spain and throughout Europe. Like, you can travel 500 miles or you could walk 160 miles, which is what we did. And uh, so uh, that was my time to discern, finally, if I'm going to become a priest or not. And that was my decision. But before the, the Camino started, uh, for, that was a two-week thing, a week before me, Napoli, and two of our other friends went to uh, France. And we went to Paris, Lisieux, and Lourdes. And it was an incredible experience. I really thought it was going to be more of like a, like a tourist type thing. Like just see beautiful churches, see beautiful culture, have some good baguettes and cafe con leche. <laughs> That's in Spain. But, <laughs> but um, like it was a an incredible week. So in Paris, um, we, you know, we saw incredible churches. We went to Lisieux and we were there in uh, St. Therese's house and seeing her family and seeing the churches that she was in. Then we went to Lourdes and um, I had a very, very empower- powerful en- encounter with Mary. And um, yeah, I'll never forget it. It was our first day in the, in the, like, the grotto area. So we're walking by, by the church. I'm being super goofy. I got my phone out. Like, this is awesome. Like, people are singing. I'm like zooming in on the religious sisters. I'm like, they're awesome. And I'm just like being super goofy. And all of a sudden, I like, for the first time, I make eye contact. And I'm still pretty far away, but I make eye contact with where Mary appeared. And all of a sudden, like, I put my phone down. And all of a sudden, like, this, like, wave of emotions just, like, came over me. And I had no idea why. I couldn't explain it. <clears throat> like, I just started crying. And I, I felt her presence there. And I was, like, I, just, she, I didn't hear her say anything yet. But I just, like, this incredible presence of her. And, I, like, I knew in that moment, like, I have a spiritual mom with incredible, powerful prayers. And I'm walking up. And I'm bawling, looking like a baby. <laughs> And uh, there's this line, and the grotto, there's like these rocks, and kind of water trickles out. And, um, and as soon as I put my hand on the, on the rock where the water was, I heard her say, my son, tell me everything that's on your heart. And uh, I was praying in Novena <laughs> for more healing. I was like, Ma, I want that gift of healing, you know? Like, <laughs> I want to see miracles happen. I was praying for that. That went straight out the window. As soon as I heard her voice, I was like, all the things I've done in my past, um, my, my family, people I've hurt. And um, part of it, uh, what was really cool, is talking about my family. She said, love them and pray the rosary daily. My son has it in his hands. And I prayed the rosary daily, and my parents came into the church together this past Easter. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and then a part of that, part of that, uh, this dialogue I'm having, I don't hear an audible voice, but it was like the first time I was like, this is somebody from heaven talking to me clearly. Like, I didn't have to sit there and think of like what she's saying. Like, maybe she's saying this. It was, I was talking, she was answering. I was asking, she was answering. And it was this back and forth dialogue for like eight minutes. She told me like things about my past. And then um, uh, she told me about... Um, my vocation about how I'm called to be a husband and a dad someday. And then I said, if I'm going to be a married man, like I need to have a, a pure heart. I need to be a better man. And um, this, is the, this, is the, this is the peak of the encounter. And three things happened simultaneously. My heart got super, super hot and like this heat like spread all the way across my chest. And she gave me an image of white blossoming roses and she said, my son has made you pure. And... Um, yeah, like, 
and the, like that moment where I accepted my vocation to become a husband and a dad, God willing, like that peace, it was like a peace I've never felt before. Um, and I actually grew in love even more with the priesthood because I was like, this isn't just a thing that you go do because you feel good about it. Like these are callings, you know, like these are real callings. Um, so incredible Camino, like <laughs> it was, saw incredible um, miracles happen and healings and just like the heart dialogue every single day for 11 days straight on the Camino. Came back, me and Napoli started dating and uh, yeah, it was incredible. I was still doing a lot of healing ministry. I was very blessed with Father Patrick Gagno. He invited me to do a lot of healing ministry with him. Um, we went uh, last summer, just some really quick cool stories. We went to Trinidad and uh, saw like literally for a good like portion of a, f- a full day and then like the night before that, we literally prayed for people and didn't see, we, we saw a breakthrough for every single person. Like it was, it was incredible. We saw necks healed and eyes healed and ankles and knees and, and all these things. And um, on the way back, it was a really cool story. Uh, this woman that was sitting next to me on the plane, she's gripping, she's praying. We haven't even left yet. We're uh, literally not even moving. She's gripping and she's praying. It's her and her husband. And I, and I just start, and I give her, you know, I give her a miraculous medal and I tell her about Jesus and I, she, she was open to prayer and she gave her fear to Jesus for flying. And, um, and uh, she said, she's like, this is great. I'm going to actually Texas right now to talk to this guy. She pulls out a book and I forget if it was, if it was Hindu or Buddhist, but she pulls out, she's like, I'm going to pray with this guy. And I was like, I, you know, I told her about like how like creation speaks of one God and like Jesus come, is the full revelation in that and stuff like that. But it was just like a good conversation and I ended up falling asleep. And, uh, and in my sleep, this is the first time I've, I, I've known that this has happened is I saw her as a little girl that was Catholic and left the church and the Lord is calling her back to communion. So I like wake up and I'm like, hey, I had a dream. (laughs) And uh, I said, hey, did you happen to be Catholic when you were little? She said, yeah, when I was really little. And just like get to share the good news of Jesus in his church and he's right there in the Eucharist to like that, that whoever she's going to pray with and get the feelings out of that, like it's the creator himself in the Eucharist, you know, like. Um, it was just, it was just incredible. Um, I saw uh, in my, in, in my workspace, I've seen a lot of healings. I've seen a coworker's shoulder healed. Uh, one of his ribs were feeling better. One of my coworkers, she had carpal tunnel for over two years. She was wearing tape on her wrist one day and, and she said, the doctors don't know what to do about it. I'm in a pain of 12 out of 10. It's really bad. And uh, just prayed right there and completely healed. Hasn't gone back to a single doctor. Had, like there's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So I watched uh, headaches leave at work. I've, it's just been so incredible. Just today after mass, me and my wife, we went to, uh, we went to breakfast afterwards, and there's this, this, uh, this sweet woman, this waitress that's walking by, and she's limping a little bit. And we call her over and tell her about Jesus, and she, she was open to receiving prayer. She was like, yeah, if he's going to heal my, you know. <laughs> and we pray with her, and she walks away. And that was really about it. But then when we were checking out, I said, hey, how's your knee doing? She goes, it feels really different. <laughs> it was just awesome. Like, it's so much fun being a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. Like, the, the life I thought that I had before was the fun life. And the Christian life was this, like, weird, robotic, um, rule-based, arbitrary rules that you just follow. And especially Catholics, I mean, you guys just follow the Pope. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you guys don't really have, like, any real like faith or power, and, um, and that just like every single day, like 
it's so much fun to like get your heart beating and like, okay, I feel like Jesus told me to say something to this man about his, about him and his daughter. And like to see somebody like tear up because the Lord knows their heart, to see somebody like be moved and like to know that there's a God that loves them, that died for them. And to see the people move like that, it was just, it's just been incredible. Um, but so back up really quick again, summer of 2018, uh, and just, and just been such a blessing. And then on the feast day of mother of Mary, mother of God on January 1st, I proposed to Napoli. She said yes. And then the only Saturday that was available was the eve of the Immaculate Conception. So this Saturday I'll be married for three months. Hallelujah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, yeah, she is absolutely incredible. Like, you got, her heart, oh, <laughs> and um, yes, oh, blessed, and um, yeah, we just just fall in love with Jesus every day, but um, so that's a little bit of my story of how I got here today, and I um, started, like, I started this podcast called Crossing the Jordan because when I became Catholic, there was, like, so many things I wanted to talk about. I was like, I couldn't just have a conversation in aisle four at Kroger, which is literally how I got the idea because this guy was like, you're Catholic and you're talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, and he was like, well, the church isn't just a build, building. And I'm like, I got to go get other groceries. And, and I was like, this would have been great to have been like, hey, bro, like I used to be anti-Catholic. I, like I love Jesus and his church. It's the, it's the church that Jesus founded. I talk about all these things. Here's, here's a business card in my podcast. So I have a podcast. There's like business cards over there. It's called Crossing the Jordan. Talk about different topics. And I, like, I try to release monthly of just like testimonies, like when people, when Jesus heals people and like how they're moved by it. I first started like talking about it myself, but I, I was like, it's so much more authentic when somebody else talks about it, you know? So um, yeah, so now I want to talk about why be Catholic. So really there's two quotes to like sum up my story. Fulton Sheen, this was my quote before I became Catholic. Fulton Sheen said, not over 100 people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church, but there are millions who hate what they wrongly perceive the Catholic Church to be. And that was full on me. I really believed all the things that I was sharing earlier. And I used to share, I used to like share like YouTube videos of like, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. And um, uh, like all these like things of like, don't give God your Catholicism. Like just give him your heart. But come to find out Catholicism is a gift from God. Nothing that men do for God, but God does for men out of his mercy. And then uh, the quote of, since I became Catholic, G.K. Chesterton, there are 10,000 reasons to be Catholic amounting to one reason, that Catholicism is true. So beauty and goodness had a huge part of my conversion. Um, I was struck, like I told you guys about just like, even just the simplicity of like everybody had the same readings around the, around the whole world. That was beautiful to me. But it went even further than that, talking about like how the, it was the Catholic Church that founded hospitals, founded orphanages, founded uh, like education systems. They, ha- they were the ones that discovered the scientific method. It was a Catholic priest who came up with the Big Bang Theory. They had art. They have architecture. They have all these things. And I'm like, this is nuts. Like, we can't get away from Catholicism. Literally, cappuccino comes from the Capuchins. You can't get away from the Catholic Church. <laughs> It's, it's nuts. But ultimately, for me, it was truth. Um, Peter Kreft, he, uh, he says, he has this quote, is there any, like, young kids in here like that still believe in somebody who comes to their house and delivers gifts? <laughs> he says this quote that 
tr truth trumps everything because if truth didn't, then what is, it's a proven fact that when we believe in things as a child, such as the man who delivers gifts on December 25th, is that we're, we're better people, we're friendlier, um, and we're happier. But because it's not true, we don't believe it. So truth trumps everything. Um, and Jesus himself says the truth will set you free. So when I was becoming Catholic and was growing in my conviction, I would just, like I said, I would simply tell people that I can, we can trace the Catholic Church all the way back to the first century, <laughs> you know? Like, and that's great, and that's true. And so is John Henry Newman's, uh, St. John Henry Newman, who was a convert from Anglicanism, uh, he said to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant, and that's true. But it's even more than that. The Catholic Church is the one church that is actively and positively willed by God because it's a historical fact that Jesus established a church that was divinely led, promised to be led, to be led into all truth. That'd be the pillar and foundation of truth. And Catholicism isn't something that we do for God. It's what God does for us, and that's mostly expressed in, in the liturgy. But, um, so, like, I, you need to start with, with truth, like actual events. Jesus Christ, he claimed to be God. It's a, it's a historical fact that this man named Jesus from the New Testament documents and from external documents from historians, from uh, Romans and, and uh, Jewish historians. It's a historical fact that this man named Jesus lived and was killed and crucified on a cross for proclaiming to be God, to be able to forgive sins, to be able to walk into the temple and say, I'm going to tear this temple down in three days. I'll build it up. But he's talking about his body. And um, it's a historical fact that that happened. And Jesus, his love for us is just so incredible. Like, he tells all these parables of the, the prodigal son, the, the lost coin, the lost sheep. And then in John 16, right before he goes to his passion, he says, I no longer speak to you in parables. And what was he saying? I'm done talking to you about how much I love you. You're about to see it happen. Like every single crucifix that we see, we see the meeting of how serious our sin was, but even greater the love of God. He was literally, he was scourged for the sins of impurity to give us purity. He was crowned with thorns to, give a, give, to, to take on our silliness and our thoughts and to, so that we can have the mind of Christ. He was pierced in his hands and his feet so that we wouldn't reach out and grasp for things anymore, but we would actually have his spirit to, to love one another. He, his, so we didn't, his feet would appear so he could give us his way instead of our way to renew us into his image. And then he was fully in his, and there's this, that hidden wound in his shoulder, those sins that only we know about, all those silly things that only we know about, all those burdens that we know about. Jesus suffered for all of it to be close to us. He saw you like when he was from the cross. He saw you when he was from the cross. And he chose to go there for the joy that was set before him. And he died on that cross. And when his heart was poured out, he said, I fully love you. Like, I want to give you my heart. That was the fullest of revelation of God. And that is the truth. And that's the gospel, that we were created. Creation speaks of God. We were created. There's darkness, obviously. And Jesus came and was crucified to restore us back to relationship with God. Here in this life, too. And, but he didn't only do that. He didn't only do that. Um, and that is the gospel. In Romans 10, St. Paul, he references Isaiah 52.7. He says, beautiful, beautiful are the feet those who preach the good news. And in Isaiah 52.7, what was the good news? It says, your God reigns. So Jesus Christ, your God reigns. What was the sign over him? Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. Your God reigns over sin, over death, 
everything. So that what St. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, this is like one of my favorite. Every single time we make the sign of the cross, we mark ourselves with his crucifixion, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that as long as I walk in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who's given himself up for me. And that is the gospel, right? But it even goes further than that. It goes so much further than that. Can, can you not hear me? Oh, I died? Hello? <laughs> can, can everybody hear me okay, though? Were you good? It's not recording. Oh, it's not recording. So this is what we need to record from? All right, I got you. Okay, so, um, so God could have came and forgiven us anyway. He's almighty God. He didn't have to do it this way, right? But he did. And there's this, uh, this, this quote from an Eddie Murphy movie called Mr. Church. I was watching it with, with my wife and her grandparents. And at the end of the movie, it says, a book is meant to be read from beginning to end, but is best understood end to beginning. And that's what we have as Christians. We know the end. We know the punchline, but we have to know the story. We also have to know the story. So, sorry that I keep like... <laughs> um, so, the, the gospel, the sign of Jesus, he is the king of the Jews, and it's written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin for the whole world. Um, Simeon, when, he, when the child Christ comes into the temple with his mother and his foster father, he says that he is a light to reveal him to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus said to the woman at... At the, Samar- at the Samaritan woman at the well. Salvation comes from the Jews. Mother Miriam, she's a convert to Catholicism from Judaism. She said, the most Jewish thing a person could do is become Catholic. <laughs> and, and it's because it's the Catholic Church that is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. So the church is part of the gospel because you can't separate the kingdom from the king. You can't separate the body of Christ from the head. And you can't separate the bride of Christ from the bridegroom. You can't do it. And it's because of the words of Jesus. So we're going to do some typology. So if you go back to the very first covenant of Adam and Eve, this was going to be, we're going to walk through five covenants and we're going to focus on two of them or pull stuff out of each. Adam and Eve, that was supposed to be a reflection of God as husband to his chosen people. And, and throughout the Old Testament, he called himself the, the Israel's husband. And the Song of Songs is a very intimate husband and wife dialogue. John, uh, Jesus himself said he is, that he is the bridegroom, and he is fully expressed on the cross. He is the, he is the bridegroom revealed in the book of Revelation. Um, and St. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5, that every single person, that my marriage wouldn't just be to get Napoli to heaven and Napoli to, to have Napoli get Jordan to heaven, but that I would bring heaven here to earth just like Jesus the bridegroom brought heaven to earth for his church the bride. So, like, we would literally taste heaven in our marriage. That Ephesians 5 would say that the very love that I have for Napoli would be the revelation of Jesus' love for his church, that I would die for Napoli, just like Jesus died for the church. That it would be a full expression that people would say when they look at the affection, the love that I have for Napoli or Napoli has for me is, like, what the first Christians, uh, the first converts said in the first century is that, wow, look at how they love one another. And they see Jesus in it. The second covenant was with, was with Noah and his family. It was going to wipe clean the, the whole world. What did this prefigure? 1 Peter 3.21 says that that prefigurement was for baptism. Baptism now saves you, St. Peter says. So we would be wiped clean in baptism, that we would have a family united, right? So the first covenant was a, mar- a marital bond. The second covenant was a family. It's, all un- it's unity, right? Then the third covenant was with, was with uh, Abraham. Go back to my notes for this one. <laughs> it was with Abraham, and he's promised, he gave him the promised land, the kingdom, and a worldwide blessing. 
And then the two last ones that we're going to focus on are with Moses and King David. So Moses was, he was, the 12 tribes of Israel are in captivity in, in, in Egypt, and God sends him as his messenger to bring them out of slavery. And so what happens is he crosses the Red Sea, which is another prefigurement of baptism. He feeds, God feeds them with manna that was going to be the bread from heaven. It was literally the bread of angels that was going to prefigure the Eucharist. And then he sets up a covenant with him by the sacrifices in the tabernacle and that he gave him the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And he literally, they had a sacrifice and they put a little blood on the people and on the altar to resemble the union of God and his people. So that was another covenant of a union of the 12 tribes of Israel led out of captivity going to the promised land. The fifth covenant was with King David saying that you are my Davidic king. You are my Davidic king. And who, who fulfills that? Jesus. He is the king. And all the prophets, it talks about um, the new covenant, what the new covenant will be. It'll be that the Messiah will come and die for us, that the Messiah will, will bring the 12 tribes of Israel back together. The prophets were literally sent to Israel, to Judah, to the exiles, to reunite them. It was going to be an internal transformation that God was going to pour out his spirit upon his children. And the new covenant um, and Malachi 1.11 even talks about how the Jewish people, they would give many sacrifices in one place is in Jerusalem. But Malachi 1.11 says that's going to be reversed to one sacrifice in many places. That's the Mass. That, is, that would be mind-blowing for a Jewish person to read. That we're going to have one sacrifice in a bunch of places. <laughs> that was Jesus and the Mass. Um, and then Emmanuel, God with us. So uh, what I want to talk about is authority. And it really comes from the Davidic kingdom promise. And so when I looked at the very first, the early centuries of the church, the first 700 years or seven ecumenical councils, and literally in them, it was the successor of Peter, all the bishops coming together to declare and define truths because there was a bunch of lies and attacks and heresies on the person of Jesus, the, per, the, the makeup of the Trinity and the church and the sacraments and all of those things and even the Bible. So they came to, the Catholic Church was the one that gave us everything that I took for granted as a Protestant. I was like, yeah, I believe Jesus is God. Well, that was a heresy that happened in the early church from the Bible. People were reading the same thing and said, nope, it says right here in, in Colossians that he was the firstborn of, uh, of creation. So there he was born. He was, he was never an eternal being. So like, literally, we get from the Catholic Church the truth that we all believe as, as every Christian would is that Jesus is true God, true man, the Trinity, three persons, one God, all distinct but equal to each other, but full divinity in each, that uh, um, Jesus has, he's fully God, fully man, but hypostatic union, he's not two persons, he's one, and then he has two wills, and then the, he, they, the Catholic Church pulled the Bible together and said, this is, this is the, the scripture that's going to be used in Mass. Literally, the Catholic Church did all of that, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, the Bible just kind of, we have it. And I'm reading it for myself. And so when I, and I'm looking at all of this, and I'm asking myself, like, why did they do it like this, though? You guys having fun? <laughs> so, and the, the Bible itself came out of the 37th Pope. The 37th Pope, uh, Pope St. Damasus. And in uh, the year, like, three, eight, 391, I believe. But, so, um, what did they use to do all that? It was the authority of the apostles and the tradition of the apostles because everybody follows a tradition. 
Every single, every single church, every single faith, every single person, they follow tradition, but what tradition are you following? And even it's talked about in the scriptures about following and holding fast to the tradition of the apostles because if you're not of the apostles, then you're not really of the church that is promised by Jesus to be the one that was to hold the truth. Um, and so... And so, and even St. Augustine in the 5th century, he said, I would not believe in the gospel if I was not moved by the authority of the Catholic Church to do so. And this is somebody who's quoted by Protestants, Catholics, Orthodox alike. But, um, so when we lose the magisterium of the church, we lose sacred tradition. And all of a sudden we start losing the Bible because we, are, we don't even know how to baptize people anymore. We, do, we trick, do we trickle water? Do we need to pour them? Do we, do we need to get them, like submerge them? Is it in the name of Jesus? Is it in the name of the Lord Jesus? Is it Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Those are all things that were in the Didache in the very first century. Didache means teaching of the 12 apostles. And that's what the church had. So why does it happen like this? Acts 15, we see the first ecumenical council where St. Paul himself, the incredible Paul, they're debating with him that if you want to be Christian, you need to become Jewish first. You need to get circumcised. You need to follow the law. And, they, and they're not even listening to St. Paul. He says, we're going to the church in Jerusalem. And it's the very first council of the church. St. Peter and the apostles in union. They literally didn't have any New Testament to go off. And what they decided directly contradicted the Old Testament. So they only had the authority and the tradition from Jesus to the apostles to declare that you do not have to become Jewish to become Christian. And when they sent that ecumenical letter out to the churches, they didn't say, well, let me do my fact-checking. They rejoiced. They were like, yes, the truth has been declared. And why is it like this? Because you go back to the, to, to, to the words of Jesus himself. Um, in 1 Timothy 3.15, St. Paul is, ta- is talking about setting up the authority and the bishops of the church to Timothy to have the succession of the authority of the apostles. And he says, the church is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. Ephesians 1.23 says, God has made Jesus the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. So he literally fills time and space with his church. Ephesians uh, 2.20 says, the household of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And even Ephesians 3.10, I'm just going to paraphrase this one, is that like, it's the church that is the in heavenly places that declares the truth to even principalities and angels. It's the church that does this. And why does he talk about these things? It's because in the Gospel of Matthew, what is Jesus doing? In the very first uh, reading of uh, the very first part of Matthew is a Davidic uh, genealogy saying that Jesus is the king. And it's all about the kingdom of God. He's going to declare the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And so he's get, then he gathers the 12 people resembling the 12 tribes of Israel, establishing authority. And then in, uh, in Matthew 16, he looks at Peter and he goes to Caesarea Philippi where there used to be rocks there for pagan worship to other gods. And he says, but you're my rock. You're the rock that I'm going to build my church upon. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That was literally a direct reference to the Davidic keys that was given to the prime minister when the king was gone for for Israel. Isaiah 22 is a direct reference of that. And I'm going to give you the power to bind and to loose, which is rabbinic terms of literally making laws for for morals and for faith for for the community and to loose, to say what's okay and what's not okay. Matthew 18, he gives it to the rest of the the rest of the apostles. And what does he say? If anybody has an agreement to you, who do you go to? The very last thing he said, 
Then you take it to the church. He didn't say, take it to yourself. He didn't say, take it even to the Bible. He didn't say, well, everybody has the Holy Spirit. Everybody has the keys, so everybody should be able to agree on it. No. He gave it to one person and, that, and the bishops in union with him, and it was the church that was going to declare the truth because it was Jesus that promised that, that Holy Spirit and to lead into all truth. Um, and then for me too, like, just really quick, how, much, how long have I gone? <laughs> I'm good? And before, I was like, I was, I, I was really big on, um, like, I was pro-choice, I told you. I didn't understand the, the concept of, like, why contraception was bad and all those things. Um, and then my wife, she actually talks about theology of the body. She gives TOB talks, but I've never heard of that before. I literally had a Protestant buddy ask me, like, where does it say, thou shalt not have birth control <laughs> in the Bible? And I'm like trying to look for it. I'm like pointing to like a story in Genesis that happened. And he was like, I don't buy that. But like this beautiful teaching and the principles that are found in scripture, but applied in, the, in Jesus Christ. But um, what really did it for me too, uh, from a moral perspective, was in the, before the 1930s happened, every single Christian church, Every single church unanimously said it is never okay, it is a moral evil to, have, to take birth control or, a or it was a contraception. It wasn't birth control yet. Contraception. In 1930, the Anglican church came together and decided that it is okay to do it now. And literally every single church followed. They said it's okay. One church said it's not okay. The Catholic church. The 1960s came around. Birth control becomes rampant. And in 1968, Pope Paul VI released his incredible prophetic letter of Humana Vitae. And he literally says that he prophesies that the use of birth control is going to lead to a lessening of morals. It's going to be, uh, lead to the use of women. It's going to lead to divorce rates. It's going to lead to abortions. It's going to lead to this destruction of family. And what do we have? <laughs> you know? And like, and just thinking about the church is supposed to be the truth. Well, which church is it? You go all the way back to the apostles. There it is in the first century. There it is in the second century. All the way to the 21st century. It's the Catholic church that's proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love being Catholic. <laughs> and then the, la the, last part, the last part I want to talk about, I know I've been talking a lot, but covenant. Covenant. Like I'm, I, okay, I'm going to talk for seven more hours to talk about every single problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I want to talk about covenant because it really illuminates every single teaching, every single idea, every single doctrine is covenant. Um, in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a mere contract. It was literally a sacred family bond. So like when, when Israel broke their promises to God, did God ever break his and said, I'm going to go find a new Israel. I'm out. <laughs> like, no. God obviously understood that. Like, I made a covenant with my people. I'm the husband. I'm the one that's going to lead uh, the glory of my people Israel and to the revelation of the Gentiles, to the entire world, to come back into the family of God that we once lost. So it's this idea of covenant, a sacred family bond. It's not a mere contract. So in the new and eternal covenant, we become one with Jesus in all things. It's not a mere personal relationship. Like, I love, I love talking about a relationship with Jesus. I love it. Like, it, obviously, it's a dialogue. It's this constant talking and, and getting to know each other. Well, getting to know him. He's like, you need to know more about yourself. And, uh, but, like, this constant relationship. But it's actually a union, a union with Jesus and, um, and an abiding in him. So we become transformed. We become like Jesus. The very name Christian 
literally means the anointed ones. Well, Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the anointed one. But in him, we become the anointed ones. In him, we become little messiahs. And so Jesus is the one lamb. He's the one who suffered for the, the whole world to give life to it. He's the one priest, prophet, king. He's the one seated at the right hand of God. He's the one light of the world. He's the one that intercedes. He's the one mediator. He is the one temple. He's the one son of Mary. And he's the one son of God. We have, we have all that in Jesus. We're literally, we uh, St. Paul in Romans literally talks about us becoming lambs. He talks about us being, suffering for the sake of, uh, the, of the church and for the sake of the world. He talks about us, we're, we're priest, prophet, and king. We're seated in heavenly places. We're the light of the world, according to Jesus. They tell us to intercede for each other. We're going to become mediators of grace in Jesus. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. Our mother becomes Jesus, our, our, Jesus' mother becomes our mother Mary, and we become children of God. Literally, everything is in that covenant union with Jesus. I have everything that Jesus has because of him, not me. And so the new covenant summarizes that sacred family bond. And we become desire and to love what Jesus loves and desires. So uh, in the, in the, there's this um, tradition that developed in, in Israel to say that we have all these sacrifices. There's going to be one sacrifice that maintained forever. It was the Toda sacrifice of offering of bread and wine, which was what was the very first offering of Melchizedek. And in the book of Hebrews, they called Jesus a priest according to the order of Melchizedek that that was going to be the one sacrifice that sustains the covenants for, of, of God for eternity was that total sacrifice of bread and wine. So Jesus' entire, his entire life pointed towards his covenant renewal, his covenant uh, restoration, his covenant um, being established. And it's on the cross and in the Last Supper being connected. He was born into a manger, the wood signifying the cross, he was born into a manger, which literally means to eat. And he was born in, in uh, Bethlehem, which in, I believe in Arabic. No, no, no. I'm going to get it right because I have notes. Hebrew, house of bread. Aramaic, house of meat. He was born in a manger because that's where animals fed. He was going to be the one that feeds the, feeds the world. And this, his entire life pointed to that. Mary and Joseph took him to the temple. He was the true temple as a little baby. They're offering him back to God. He was going to be the one temple. And then... He talks, uh, St. John the Baptist identifies him. There's the Lamb of God. Remember in the, in the Mosaic, they slaughtered the lamb. And you had to eat the lamb or your firstborn child would die. And St. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians 5, that now that our Paschal lamb has been sacrificed, let us hold fast to the feast. The feast is what? The Eucharist. Jesus, the Lamb of God in the Eucharist. We have to eat the lamb. And so... Jesus talks about the lamb. he's the Lamb of God. When he began his, began his mystery, he started it with a wedding feast and pouring out, and he pointed to his hour. He said, my, my hour has not yet come, pointing to the cross. Just the other day, I, I, I'm in John 6 right now. I've read it multiple times, but it's the very first time I started realizing every little uh, section or new story, it literally tells you if it's a feast day. So it'll say, like, this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or this is a Sabbath, or this is a wedding feast, or this is a feast, or... Um, it was literally all geared towards these feast days. And Jesus is showing that it points to what happened on the, that Holy Thursday, which was a feast day, which was the Passover, the Passover lamb. Um, <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, so, uh, and so where's the one place that is actually mentioned covenant in the New Testament? 
It's in each four of them. And by the way, the only miracle outside of the resurrection that happens in each of the four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. And the Gospel of John calls it a sign. And it's going to be a sign of Jesus as the Messiah feeding the world with heavenly bread, the true bread from heaven. And so the Last Supper, Luke 22, this is the only time you find the word covenant. And he says, this is my body which is given for you. Take this. This is the chalice of my blood, the new covenant. That's the only thing. Where, that's where you only find in the Gospels outside of like in Hebrews talks about the new and eternal covenant. And it's only there. And that covenant is a full giving, right? And he, in the Passover feast, there was a lamb, there was bread. If you look at the Gospels, there's a lamb missing. But Jesus is the lamb. And he takes bread and he says, this is my body. He transforms it as the, as the creator. And that happens at every single mass. So we consume the lamb of God. And it's the new covenant. The early church, where we get the word New Testament, it, came, it comes from the Latin word testamentum, and which means covenant in Greek. So literally, according to the New Testament, the New Testament is the Eucharist. According to the New Testament documents, the New Testament is the Eucharist. Like that is the living bread who came down from heaven, and that is the fullness of Scripture. Um, and that is what's fulfilled at every single Mass, every express in worship. Is, it's, it's all in the liturgy. Um, when Jesus says salvation is from the Jews in, uh, in John 4, he's at the well of Jacob speaking to a Samaritan woman. Hey! <laughs> Reminder to drink some water. I need to start hydrating. And, uh, and he says, And the Samaritans were of the northern kingdom of Israel, separated from the southern kingdom of Judah, and they mixed with paganism. And they worshipped on Mount Gerizim, which was an unauthorized place of worship. And Jesus says to her that, that, that salvation comes from, the, comes from the Jews and that the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And um, so where Jews worshipped was Mount Zion in Jerusalem, where true sacrifice happened. And that's mentioned in Hebrews 12, after talking about how the old covenants, the old sacrifices, the old priesthood, the old law, the old prophets are all fulfilled in Jesus. And in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, listen to all this. It's literally at mass. We're surrounded by the cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by angels. We're in the covenant union of Jesus in the Eucharist. This is literally what it says. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. And you see it most expressively in, the, in, the, in Revelation, but it says this. You have come to Mount Zion, which is what? The true place of worship in Jerusalem that, that Jesus talked about in John 4. And the city of, of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the church, the fulfillment of Israel. And, and innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Let's go to Mass tomorrow morning together as a family. Like, <laughs> like we are so blessed as Catholics, and it's because it's the words of Jesus. Like, the, the Catholic Church is nothing from men. I, I saw this quote before on, like a, like, a Twitter page. I don't have Twitter, but somebody showed it to me. This priest said, I can never be part of a, a church started by a Catholic priest. That's why I'm Catholic. <laughs> so um, so the, I want to bring this all in with the, part, the last part I mentioned was saying, like, right before this talk, right before Lana called me, I literally, I'm on my knees in front of Jesus in the Eucharist and just, like, asking him, like, it just hit me, like, 
why did this happen to me in the Catholic Church? Why did this happen now? And I, got the, I felt like he told me the abiding presence of God. And he took me on, I, I started doing research in the Gospel of John, abiding, abiding. Where does abiding happen? And so abiding happens in the Word, the Holy Spirit, the Eucharist, bearing fruit by love. And I want to add confession in there. It doesn't talk about abiding, but I'm going to throw it in there. So in John, it's talking about the Word of God in John 8, 31. If you continue in my Word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The catechism literally talks about how, so as, uh, as, so my wife is Chaldean, is awesome. The best food, the awesome liturgy, incredible family is, uh, we're so blessed. But in a, in a Chaldean church where the Eucharist is in the tabernacle, they literally have the, the gospels laid out next to it. And it's because the church teaches that just as we venerate the body of Christ, we venerate the scriptures. We venerate it differently because in the Eucharist, it's actually Jesus is the substance, where in the scriptures, it's spiritual, it's the presence of Jesus. That's why, like, we gotta, we gotta, I carry this with me because I, I want to take the Eucharist with me everywhere. <laughs> but, like, just carry the presence of God on you, like, to always have the word, and it's always Jesus speaking to us. And we can get to know that through the church, the church's teaching, just like in Acts 2.42, where it says, the first Christians devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the prayer, and the breaking of the bread. And uh, what was the other thing? There was four of them in there. <laughs> prayer, teaching, yeah, teaching of the apostles and breaking of the bread. And hearing about the saints, the rosary, Pray the rosary every day. It's meditating on the life of Jesus through the eyes of his mother. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible. And, um, and meditation and contemplation. So the word of God, abiding in the word of God, abiding in the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 through 17, it says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit of truth that will dwell with you and, and will be in you that union of the Holy Spirit, that abiding. So get to know the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to become charismatic. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and by the way, just like for me, like I don't claim to have a gift of healing, but all I know is like after reading all those books, it literally just comes down to the words of Jesus again. Why do I pray for the sick and healing? Because in Jesus in Mark 16 literally says that the, those who believe in my name will cast out demons, will lay their hands on their sick, and they will recover. Why do I believe in the Eucharist? Because Jesus says it's his flesh and blood. Why do I believe in the church? Because he says it's the one that has the truth, it has the keys, it has the power to bind and loose. It has nothing to do with, with just human, interact, human things that we just think up and it's going to be nice. It's literally the words of Jesus. Why, why do we do these things? It's Jesus. Like, and in that Mark 16, he doesn't say, Padre Pio, in a few centuries, is going to be that man. But everybody else, you need to calm down. <laughs> no, he said, who believe in my name? So we've seen people not get healed, and we've seen people get healed. And it's awesome. My, uh, I don't know if you know about this, Mom, but uh, Saturday, my brother was home. He lives in Alabama. He's, he's a roll tide now. He's like, he's a big country. <laughs> he, was, he was shooting guns on Saturday, and he said his ear was like, it felt really bad, and we prayed. And he didn't say it was 100%, but knowing Ryan, it probably was because he was like, yeah, it feels good. It feels good, you know. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then the Eucharist. John six fifty six. he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Abiding in the Eucharist. And then, what's that? Nice. <laughs> so it's not even you guys saying, like, slow down. It's, like, it's the mic that's like, dude. 
<laughs> oh, we're almost done, everybody. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, bearing fruit by love. In John 15, 7 through 10, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Abiding in the love of God. Knowing your identity in him. And to make decisions that I'm not going to be, like, there's that chicken line that people talk about of, like, oh, that person's limping, but I don't want to be the weirdo again. I'm like, got nothing to lose. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, and just loving people. Loving people. I remember I was asking uh, the Lord for a word for this woman standing next to me at Trader Joe's, and I feel like I'm getting nothing. And I'm, like, getting anxious about it. I'm like, Jesus, like, what do you want to tell her? <laughs> and all I hear is him say, love like Napoli. Just love. Don't overthink it. Literally, my, he told me my, uh, for, my Lent, for my Lent and penance was to simply, simply love by loving simply. Stop making it so complicated. Just love. Just choose love. Um, and then confession, he doesn't talk about abiding, but it's such a gift. I try to go every Friday. John 20, 23, he breathes on the apostles literally after the resurrection. He literally just did the thing that forgave us. He just did it. And then he breathes on his apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Why does he do this? Because he wants us, just as the, the crippled man, go, your sins are forgiven. He wants us to hear that. He doesn't want us to have always a, a, a feel-good. Um, there's this uh, incredible story of this Protestant pastor who he said, like, when he, when he, after, like, falling into, like, sin, he would literally play sad music to make himself feel bad, and then he'd play happy music to make him feel like, I'm forgiven. And as a Protestant pastor, he would sneak off to go to the Catholic church because he wanted to hear, I absolve you of your sins. He said, I didn't feel anything after that, but I know that I was forgiven. Like, we're so, we're just incredibly, just so incredibly blessed to be Catholic, guys. I love our Catholic faith. Do you? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's all about the presence of God. When people do not have an encounter with Jesus, just like I did growing up or in high school or in college, arbitrary rules, it looks crazy, it doesn't look like anything for me, but when it's an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with the living God, and we're surrounded in the body of Christ together, we become united um, we truly become on fire for Jesus and his church. Um, and just, this is my last little bit of just like why people might leave the church or Christianity in general. And uh, in Genesis 28, it's Jacob who has a dream of, of angels ascending and descending on the temple of God. And he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. I did not know it. And the New Testament equivalent to that is saying is St. Paul saying, holding the power, or holding the form of religion, but denying the power of it. Our religion has power. It's not just to hold to, to become a sacramental robot, as I heard Father Patrick call it. <laughs> he did this the sacramental robot. But like to truly just give ourselves over and to, to, to discern the body of Christ, to discern the Holy Spirit, to discern the scriptures the presence of God to abide in his presence. And that's how we become transformed. We should and need to know our faith to be able to explain and defend as St. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 to be ready to give an account on the hope that is within us with gentleness and reverence. But all truth leads to the one source, Jesus. He's the, one, he's the truth, 
the way, the life. He's the truth. And it has to come from an encounter. John uh, 5, 39 through 40, it says, Jesus is literally talking to the Pharisees and he says, you search for the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And what's he saying? Read scripture, but never apart from his presence. Never do it like just to know. Don't like, I became so consumed and I still am. I love apologetics. I'm, I'm, I just love it. But doing that apart from an encounter and a presence of God, it doesn't make any sense. And it's really, that's like where we're like, where I get like anxious of like, I want to share, why aren't you Catholic? You know, like that's what I want to say. But it's like, I just need to love and allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. So we need to desire unity as in John 17 does. Um, the Holy Spirit is attracted to unity, the upper, the upper room. The apostles are united in love with the mother of God, Mary. We need to be, we need to make a decision as a church with our other Christian brothers and sisters, with other people to be united. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And the Holy Spirit creates unity. What happens in every sacrament? You become more infused into Christ and to the body of Christ. What happens in every single, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, what, who are the, the people outside of the Catholic Church and the Christian world that are most in tune and, believe, and like are open to the Catholic faith, start believing in things that we believe about the body and blood of Christ, about how you have to have a holy life expressed in your faith? Those are the, those are the charismatic Protestants. They're open to the Catholic Church. They, Bill Johnson, one of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Protestant pastors, he literally talks about how he says communion isn't something that man just does. It's God, God's grace working through it. Catholic Church has been teaching that for 2,000 years. You know, like the Holy Spirit creates unity and it's attracted to unity. We need, we need each other. Blessed Solanus Casey literally says, blessed be God in all his designs who has created us for each other to be dependent upon each other. So, um, I had so much fun with you guys. Thanks for letting me babble. And uh, uh, just, I really just, I'm just so in love with Jesus and his church. Every single day as another day to come closer to Jesus in the sacraments, through scripture, through the Holy Spirit, to abide in him. And I just, I love the truths, the, the truths of the church. It's the only one that has the fullness of, of truth and we can never be ashamed to share it. But we always have to have love. We always have to have gentleness. We always have to, we always have to just be ready. Never be ashamed of the church and the gospel because the church is part of the gospel. It can't be attached from it, right? Detached from it. The kingdom is with this King Jesus. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you. I'll hang out with you, Al. <laughs> I want to hear more about how you approach strangers because to me that sounds so scary. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the first time I actually started praying with people, it was with Tony on the streets, and I was like, all right, that's it. I pray with homeless people, nobody else. And then I started, like, just, like, it's always the first step. Just take, like, the smallest first step. Um, what I found really, really helpful, um, sometimes I feel, like, a little even more scared without something to give people. We're such, like, physical beings that people's hearts are automatically open when you can give them something. 
on St. Paul Street Evangelization, I buy crucifixes and, and miraculous medals, and I give these out to people. Literally, I'll be at the grocery store. I might not even say anything in particular. Just, just like, here, here's a little necklace for you. Just remember how much God loves you. Um, when, uh, when I was downtown Detroit, um, one year at YCP, this waitress told my friend Leah Ross, uh, who was part of YCP, she said, I love your necklace, and it was the miraculous medal. And for a year later, we literally went back and gave her her own. It took a year. It was bad. <laughs> but we gave her her own miraculous medal. And she said as soon as she put it on, her hip pain that was shooting up her back was completely gone. That's how it became known as the miraculous medal, is Mary appearing. So we're, we're always, we always have support around us, right? Mama Mary and all the saints and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is always with us. Um, and just ask, and ask the Holy Spirit to be with you. And sometimes I think we work up ourselves to think like it's on us, like I need to do this. And oftentimes it's really us just making a simple, a, a simple act of, of love, a simple gesture of love to literally tell the woman who's carrying around five kids and her at Trader Joe's like, you're such a beautiful mom. God wants you to know that, you know? Like, it can just be simple things like that. Um, but I really did find these, like, super helpful. Uh, and it can just be expressed in completely different ways. Like, it might not even be, like, a direct conversation. It might not be, it might just literally be a, a witness. Like, somebody can look at your love with your husband or your, with your family and say, look at how they love each other, you know, to, to witness like that as well. Um, yeah, does that help at all? Like, it, sometimes, like, sometimes it is just like, I'm just going to do this small little thing, you know, first. And I really started with thinking I'm never going to pray for people I know. <laughs> and, and then next thing I know, I'm really nervous. I was really nervous around my family because, you know, like, they know me. <laughs> and, and then I started praying with coworkers. And then it was just like, it became a part of my life, literally uh my, my partner on my main job, he's not Christian. He's an incredible Jewish man. But literally, Jesus has been a part of my life, so it seems silly when he asks, like, how was your weekend, to not tell him what happened. So I just tell him glory stories. Like, like uh, one thing I just shared with him, which is a really cool just story, just what Jesus did. <laughs> Several months ago, I went to go get a, uh, a gift card for Napoli at a to get a massage. And I was asking Jesus for words, and I got a word for the, the, the woman at the desk that she has neck issues that causes headaches. And she's young, and she looks healthy. She's, she's my age. And, um, and she said she was open to prayer. She had neck issues that caused headaches, and she was open to prayer. And people are around. I'm like, I know you're at work, and we'll make it quick. And I'm like leaning over the desk. I'm like, <laughs> just praying for her really quick. And I'm like, that was it. A few weekends ago, I went back um, to get another gift card for Napoli because she deserves it. <laughs> and uh, she was there. And there was the same, same girl, and she gave a testimony on the podcast. She said that she hasn't had a single problem since then. Um, like, God is just so good, and uh, yeah, just taking, <laughs> yeah, just, just, loving, just loving people around us, you know? That's where it all starts. Any other questions? Everyone's scared, too. He's like, he's going to talk for another 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you guys. All. We're all one big family now, you know. Um, I'm just so, so, so grateful for what Jesus has done in my life and is doing in my family's life. And um, we're just, we just want to continue to see more of him glorified and more people just on fire for Jesus, you know. Um, and that happens even people within our church. Yes, guy in the sweater right here. <laughs>
Hey, Dad. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Yeah, so we first met each other. <laughs> Gotta have that mic. <laughs> yeah, so Napoli and I first met each other in 2014. She was she got her she's a speech therapist and she got her undergrad degree at Wayne State and she moved to uh, Grand Rapids for her master's degree at Grand Valley. And I was doing my master's in accounting at Grand Valley, and we moved in the same apartment complex. Um, and I met her and her mom when they were moving in, and she just became like, it was me, her, and another girl that were just like friends, friends amongst friends in that, in that apartment complex. Um, and it really didn't go like any further than that. We literally just, we, we hung out like twice at, uh, like, at like St. Patty's Day and stuff like that, just like us. And, um, and that was really it. And then uh, actually the way we got moved out of our apartment was there was this big shootout that happened. Um, and like, it was crazy. It was like over 45 shots fired. I found out that night that I was not a light sleeper that I thought I was because I slept the whole way through it. I, got a, I had a bunch of missed calls from Napoli at like one in the morning. And so I called her, it was like seven in the morning. I'm like, hey, is everything okay? She's like, no, dude, there was a big shootout last night. A bullet went into her, she was up reading. Uh, in her bedroom, and a bullet literally missed her head like six inches. Yeah, and um, so we moved, so she moved back home. Her she like her mom is just so sweet. She came she came out like she was. It was like the last part of the summer semester, um, and I was driving from Lansing. It was literally like the last two weeks of of school. But after that, we didn't really keep in touch. And then we started trying to like get to, back together, me, her, and that other girl in uh, 2017 after I became Catholic. And um, and then we we still like it never happened. And then all of a sudden that day at YCP, she literally walked in, my heart dropped. And I had no idea why. I was just like, an old friend. <laughs> but like, that was the Lord, like really like just planting a seed. And um, she is just absolutely incredible. And just even in the first week, I've realized the, the radical nature of our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouses. Like, and it wasn't even because I did anything in particular, but I just realized that I talk a lot and I don't listen. Like, 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 like I literally, within the first week, within the first week, I was like, I just sometimes like talk at God, you know, and I don't listen. And like, I really just need to embrace her presence, God's presence. And it's just such a, I'm, like the, the sacrament of marriage is such a blessing. Can you, uh, Share how uh, young professionals. I mean, yeah, it's growing. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to hear about young people getting excited with their faith. Can you share something about that with us so we can be Yeah, about what you guys are doing? yeah, absolutely. So um, it started in 2010 from uh, from a, wo- a woman named Jennifer Ball, and she was, I think, in her 20s when it started. Um, and it started in Dallas, and it got like a full endorsement from the archbishop there, and then all of a sudden it just like spread like wildfire in Texas, and then spread it throughout the country, and it even like they were getting requests to go internationally and everything, and, um, and Archbishop Vigneron really wanted it, and at the same time, uh, Donald Smith, who was the first president, who uh, he came from Dallas. It impacted him like really heavily when he uh, was in Dallas, and when he came to Detroit, he uh, really wanted to get this going. So he's literally having conversations with like people at the archdiocesan level. And then all of a sudden, like two people collide and the Archbishop of Ingram was like, absolutely. 
So he was like a full endorsement on that in 2017. We, we kicked off, well, they kicked off in August 1st of 2017. Um, and they do, uh, so it's for, it's really targeted for people that are between 20, the ages of 20 and 40 is what they consider a young adult. And then, uh, so every single, um, there's monthly events like speaker series. So there's a lot of people um, that own businesses or like executives that are Catholic and they come and talk for like a good half hour at these events where there's free wine, free drinks, free food, free snacks. Um, and these, these higher up executives that are Catholic and on fire for their faith, they come and talk about how it is to live as a Catholic in the workplace and how to grow both in your professional life and in your faith at the simultaneously and bringing them together. Um, and then they have quarterly series of like little panels where there'll be like three people talking about a specific virtue or an issue in the church or an issue in, in the world. Uh, they have uh, um, every six months there's retreats. And those, those are all free. But there is a, to become a member, you get access to a lot more, even more like intimate settings uh, where it's like, you know, there's might be 20 members talking with uh, an executive about their things. You have access to mentors uh, for your business, and you're, you have access to spiritual directors. Um, anybody that's over the age of 40 and would love to get involved, they always are looking for other speakers or mentors if you feel like you can provide, like in your, exp- in your area of expertise. Like, we're always looking for more accountants. <laughs> so, uh, um, so, yeah, I actually transitioned off uh, last summer. So I haven't been very involved how it is right now, but that's, that, that is the core foundation. The events are always, it has to be in the city. It can't come out to the suburbs. We're really trying to promote the inner city, and it's like it's a lot of people that look like us from the suburbs coming into the city, and we really want to show the, the universality of the church, too, and bring people together and bring the Detroit and the suburbs together as one. Um, but yeah, that, it, it's, it's an incredible ministry. It's growing. And uh, they have uh, a conference every year, too, where everybody from a whole, the whole country comes and they hear about a topic. Last year was about Mary. Um, and then I think this past year was on St. Joseph. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's truly incredible. And they have Teresa Tamio talk there. Yeah, it's really incredible. Uh, but yeah, if you just Google... Um, Young Catholic Professionals, they'll take you to like kind of like their overall page. But if you go to Young Catholic Professionals Detroit, they're on Facebook, they're on, they have their own website, so you can find out all the events and everything like that. If you have people or yourself that want to go to an event, just find all the details in there, send it to people. You don't necessarily have to wear a tie. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're good, you're good. incredible. Jordan, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Al. Appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you so much. Oh, and there are, so there's, there are CDs over there for all the previous talks. There's some of them that are, are out, are not available anymore. So they're trying to get away from the CDs and just having it. Um, am I saying that right? Like it's all online is primarily, but for any don like you want to provide donation to this ministry, they, you said 8,000 CDs, you know, like, <laughs> it's pretty incredible what they're doing here, so if you want to support them, 
there's that, and also uh, you can take CDs. And I do have my business, like my business card. It, it doesn't even have my name on it. It literally says "Crossing the Jordan" on the back, like where you can find my podcast and everything like that. Completely free. iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, all that stuff. If you want to send it to family, friends, um, yeah, it's a lo- it's a lot of fun. I enjoy talking about the Catholic faith. You'll see the first episodes are literally like like over an hour long. <laughs> each episode and it'll be like a part of a series and now I'm like between 5 and 15 minutes so it's good <laughs> thank you guys so much God bless you, drive safe yeah, yeah I gotta ask you do you think you would be on this journey 